is um, a series on the doctrine of God or theology proper, and uh, we have been talking about what God is like. So as we think about the doctrine of God, we, we talk about what God is like and then also what God does. But at this, in, this, in these early sessions, we've been talking about what God has, what he is like and the, the greatness of who he is. And we considered what often is referred to as incommunicable attributes, meaning that God has attributes that set him apart from all of creation. These are things that are not communicated with his creation. Some of his attributes, his likeness is, we've been made in the image of God. And there are things that are communicated to us where we reflect the very uh, person of God and his likeness. Um, And uh, these that we've looked at previously we talked about the fact that God is a spirit. He does not have a body as we have. That he has life, and this life is the eternal life. That he is the great I am. That he has no beginning, he has no end. And he has life from within himself. He is self-existent. We have life that is derived to us from God, but he is Uh, has life within himself, and he has self-existence. We are dependent upon God. Our every breath, our every heartbeat uh, is something that God himself gives to us, sustains, uh, but he is self-existent and self-sufficient. And all of these things he is immutably. Um, It's a big word that just means that he doesn't change, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he is personal. He is a personal God who is able to be known, and the psalmist makes that clear. You are my God, David said. And Tonight, we want to look at some other attributes. We turn here to Psalm 139, and we're going to consider tonight God's omniscience, his omnipresence, and his omnipotence, and then in connection with that, God's sovereign sovereignty. So we want to begin with God's omniscience, and the word omniscience is just a from a Latin word that means that God has all knowledge, all knowledge. Uh, he lives in a state, exists in a state where he knows everything exhaustively, eternally. In Isaiah 40, that one chapter that really depicts the greatness of God and uh, the sovereignty of God over nations, the nations are like a drop in the bucket uh, compared to this God. Well, there. Uh, It says, who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has taught him? We've all had to learn. We entered into this world lacking knowledge and we needed to be instructed. But God has never needed to be instructed. He has never needed to learn. He has never had to Google. We Google all the time. God has never had to Google to learn something. Um, He has never needed a refresher course, as we so often do. Uh, He never needs to ponder something before he answers. Sometimes people may ask us a question and we think, "Mm, that's kind of difficult. I need to think about that and I'll get back to you. Well, God never does that. God never has to ponder something before he answers. He knows the end from the beginning. And he knows all things exhaustively and eternally. 
And we want to look here tonight at Psalm 139, the first six verses, where we see this attribute of the omniscience of God. And let me just read those verses. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. And there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. As we look at this Psalm of David, we recognize that for David, this isn't just a theological point in his knowledge about God, that God's omniscient and he can give um, an answer when somebody asks him that God is this way. But the way in which David sets forth the omniscience of God is in a very personal way, that God knows me. God knows everything, but among all the things that he knows, he knows me, and he knows me in an intimate way. And this is the way this is presented here in the psalm of God knowing him. And what a comfort it was for David, and I hope a comfort for us as well, that he knows all things and he knows me. Notice um, verse 2, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up, uh, you know my thought from afar. And these are just mundane activities of life. Uh, think about in an average day, just how many times you sit down, how many times you stand up. You probably aren't even conscious of it. You don't really think about that. But we do that quite a few times throughout the day. Again, these mundane things, these very casual activities, and yet the Lord knows all about it. He knows when I sit down and he knows when I rise up. He discerns my thoughts. He understands my thoughts afar off. He knows what I'm thinking about when no one else knows except me. But God does. And that really ought to be something that causes us to to guard our thoughts. Um, Because even the devising of folly, the thinking of folly is sin. And God knows our thoughts. He knows them from afar. Uh, He has a perfect knowledge of our life. So this God who perfectly knows all things about this vast universe and who upholds all things by his word, who names all of the stars and brings them out each night, he is the one that raises up one king and sets down another king, raises up one kingdom, sets down another kingdom. He knows me. It's an amazing thing that the believer can say that I am on God's radar screen, if you will, that he knows me, and he knows me personally. He knows me intimately. And notice verse 3, you comprehend my path and my lying down. Again, very common things that we do in life. My path, where I'm going, where I'm traveling, where I'm been. You know my path, and you know it is, you know, when I lie down at night. 
there's this idea of this word to comprehend. It's a Hebrew word that has this idea of winnowing or, or sifting. And uh, this is something that takes care to separate wheat and chaff. And there is a sifting that God does. There's, he is comprehending. He knows all about me. And he sifts through my very life and he knows me. He takes close um, watch over me. And verse 3 there he says, And you are acquainted with all of my ways. With all of my ways. The New American Standard translates this, that he's intimately acquainted with all my ways. He intimately knows me. Job could say, the Lord knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Psalm 103, verse 14 says that as a father, he knows our frame, and he's mindful that we are but dust. So he knows us, and he knows our weakness. He knows that we're but dust and takes that all into consideration in his knowledge of us. Spurgeon said this, waking or sleeping, I am still observed of thee. I may leave thy path, but thou never leavest mine. I may sleep and forget thee, but thou dost never slumber nor fall into oblivion concerning thy creature. And then in verse 5, you have hedged me behind and before and you have laid your hand upon me. You remember Job, um, when Satan came before God, he said, you know the reason that Job serves you is because you're so good to him. Uh, You've hedged him in, and you've done nothing but bless him. There's that idea of hedging in, and God is around his people and cares for them. And uh, here's this idea here as well. He's hedged me in behind and before. And you have laid your hand upon me. Look at the last verse of the previous uh, chapter, 138. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. So, Lord, you know me. You know all about me. And, Lord, you are affecting your purpose, your good purpose for me. And notice the response that this evokes in the heart of David and really should Evoke the same in us as well. He says in verse 6, Such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Oh, the depth and the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways, they are past finding out. But Lord, you know all things. And you know me. And this struck a sense of wonder and awe in the heart of David. That you know me. I always, I think I may may have mentioned this uh, in weeks past, but whenever I get on an airplane and we get up high and you look down and you see, you know, houses and buildings that look so very, very small. And the thought comes to me, is that God, as he looks down on his creation, he knows everything that's going on in this world exhaustively. He knows that person that's driving that car. He knows what's going on in that house. 
He knows all things. And it's hard to to even grasp this thought. But God knows all things. He knows them eternally, eternally. And he knows them exhaustively. And he knows me. And what, a, what an encouragement for us, especially in a time of trial. Listen to these words at the end of Psalm 40 that speaks about the greatness of God. It says there, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Have we ever been there? Have we ever been to that place where, Lord, if you forgotten about me? Do you see what I'm going through? Well, we maybe have not voiced those outwardly, but maybe we've thought those in our hearts. Maybe we haven't voiced them outwardly, or maybe we've even said that as Judah and Israel. Why do you say, the Lord says, that my way is hidden from the Lord The claim that I have is passed over by God. And here's God's response. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he never faints nor is weary. His understanding understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even though youths may faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fail, But those who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength and they shall mount up with the wings like eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So as we think of these attributes of God tonight, his omniscience, his uh, omnipresence, his um, omnipotence, that here is this God who knows us and who gives strength to the weak and he knows us with perfect knowledge Why would we ever say that my way is hidden from the Lord? And so here is David trusting in his God. And this becomes an incentive for holy living, doesn't it? At the end of the chapter, verse 23 of Psalm 139, David thinks about all of these things that he talks about here. Among them, his omnipotence or his omniscience, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Lord, you know all things. You know you know the private thoughts of my mind and of my heart. And Lord, I want you to search out my heart because I don't even know my own heart sometimes. And try me, know my anxious thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me at all and lead me in the way that is everlasting. Um, Some of you may have a plaque on your wall similar to this, but it says this, that Christ is the head of this house, the unseen guest at every meal, and he is the silent listener to every conversation. God sees, God knows, God hears. And it ought to have this same response in us. So this is the omnipot- or the omniscience of God. The secondly, there is the omnipresence of God. We see this in verses 7 to 12. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in hell or Sheol, behold, you are there. 
If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Is there anywhere that I could go away from the Spirit of God, from the presence of God? That is the doctrine of the omnipresence of God, that he is everywhere present. God says in Isaiah 66 that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24, I am a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord, do I not fill heaven and earth? Declares the Lord. And this is what David is getting at here. Is there anywhere that we could ever go and be away from the presence of the Lord? Wayne Grudem, as he thinks about this truth of God, that he is omnipresent, said that God does not, God does not have size or spatial dimensions and is present at every point of space with his whole being, yet God acts differently in different places. We might think of heaven, God's presence is there where he pours out his blessing on his own, but God is present in hell as well where he is dealing with sinners in judgment and in wrath. There is nowhere that we can go from his presence, and God is um, one who has no body, and so he is a spirit, as we've already talked about. A.W. Tozer said that he surrounds the finite, finite creation and contains it. There is no place beyond him for anything to be. God is our environment as the sea is to the fish and the air to the bird. There's a picture for us that uh, God is the ocean. And everything is within it. The fish um, are within that ocean or the birds in the air. So God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body that, like we do. He has no physical qualities whereby he just occupies a certain amount of space, such as we do. Um, he is everywhere pl- present. Now, this is not pantheism. If you've heard of pantheism, there are those that believe that everything is God and God is everything. Um, So trees and rocks and all of those things, you know, that's God. Everything is God. And that's not what this truth is teaching us. It's that God is everywhere present, but he is distinct from his creation. He is not the creation. He is distinct from it. And he is everywhere in his fullness. And again, this is something that was personalized by David. So he says, "Where, where could I ever go? that I would be out of your presence, Lord, or I would be out of your care. No matter matter where I go, even if I would ascend into heaven, you are there. Think about the star Alpha Centura. I think that's the nearest, closest star to our solar system, outside of our solar system. But that star is 4.3 light years away. And what is a light year? It's how fast light travels at the speed of what? 
186,000 miles per second, not per hour, per second. I can't even comprehend that. But Alpha Centura is 4.3 light years. That's light traveling 186,000 miles a second for over four years. And if we could do that, if we could be that light, it would take us four years to get to the closest star to our solar system. And even if I could go there, and that's the closest star, <laughs> there are others much farther away, other galaxies much farther away. Even if I could go there, Lord, you are there. There is nowhere that I could ever go from your presence. There is no God vacuum in the universe where God is not present. So he is there whether I travel on the land or the sea or into space, God is there. And even there, verse 10, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand shall hold me. And so we thank God again that he is the sovereign God and he is all knowing and he is everywhere present. And David again applies this. What does this mean to my life personally? God knows me and God is with me wherever I may go. And then thirdly is that God is omnipotent. Of course, this word means that he has all power. He has all power. He is all powerful. Psalm 115 Verses 2 and 3, why should the Gentiles say, where is your God? For our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. He does whatever he pleases. That's not true of anyone else. We can talk about kings and those who have a lot of power in this world, but they cannot do whatever they please. They learn that their power is limited But God's is never limited. He does whatever he pleases. The word almighty is used 57 times in the Bible in reference to God. He alone is almighty. It's the word Shaddai or El Shaddai, which means God almighty. It's one of the names of God. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. And who is he who has who I am he who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. Psalm 135, for I know that the Lord God is great. Our Lord is above all gods. And whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deep places. He makes the clouds to ascend to the ends of the earth. He makes the lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind out of his treasury. Who is a God like this? He does what he pleases. And these words from Nebuchadnezzar, all the inhabitants of the earth, they are reputed as nothing. And he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what are you doing? No one is going to slap the hand of God. What do you think you're doing? God does as he pleases. There are some miraculous pregnancies in the Bible. One of them is Sarah. You remember when God came to Abraham, he had tried to raise up a, a what he th- think was the promised seed through uh, 
Hagar, and the Lord said, no, it's going to be through your wife, Sarah. Now, remember, Sarah's been barren all of her life. She's now very old, and uh, she, she, she cannot bear children. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to raise up from you, from your seed, from Sarah, a seed. And Sarah is eavesdropping on this conversation as he's speaking with Abraham in the tent. She's, she's listening in. And do you remember what she did? She laughed. She laughed, and God heard that laugh, and God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord, the one who threw the stars into space, the one who spoke and brought all things into existence? Is anything too hard for him? Can he not make a barren woman give birth to this promised seed? And so it was with Mary. She was a virgin, and The angel appeared to her. You're going to bear a son. He's going to be the son of David. He's going to sit on his throne forever and ever. And she said, Lord, how can this be? And the Lord says, because she said, I I know not a man. I'm not married. And he said, for with, the angel said, for with God, nothing will be impossible. His power is absolute. His power is never deleted. It is never exhausted. He never needs to replenish his power. He's not like us that we sometimes take a power nap. He never takes a divine power nap. He is never tired. He's never exhausted. He doesn't exercise his power and need to rest and replenish it. He has all power. It is infinite, eternal, and again, it is incomprehensible. And so the psalmist says that whatever he pleases... That he does. A lot of times we maybe are wanting to do something, but we just can't. We don't have the ability. But that's not true for God. And we might ask, well, what is he pleased to do? I like this little catechism question for children. Can God do all things? And the answer is this. Yes, God can do all his holy will. That's what God does. He does all his holy will. And no one can thwart that. No one can stop that. He will effect his eternal purpose and plan. And David, or excuse me, Job, you remember after he's, he wanted his day in court with God. And God, all right, sit, sit down, Job. I want to talk to you. Where were you when I, when I laid the foundations of the earth, when I hung the stars? Where were you? And he goes through these several chapters of these things that puts Job in his place. And at the end of that, Job says this in Job 42.2, I know that you can do anything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. And as we think about the omnipotence of God, again, what an encouragement, uh, an encouraging truth to us. This one who knows us, knows all about us, the one who is ever present with us is also the one who has all power to effect his purpose for us. If God was one who loved us and he was for us, but he didn't have all power, well, that really wouldn't do us much good if he could be um, thwarted in his purpose. But he is working all things together for our good. 
And as we think of the omnipotence of God, it is something that we need to understand with regard to something else about God, and it is this, that God is indisputably sovereign. He is indisputably sovereign over his creation. So whenever we talk about God's omnipotence, it is never to be separated from his sovereignty. A.W. Tozer said this, sovereignty and omnipotence must go together. One cannot exist without the other. To reign, God must have power. And to reign sovereignly, he must have all power. So what is God's holy will? He does all his holy will. Well, the Bible tells us that he's working all things after the counsel of his own will. That before the world ever began, that God decreed the end from the beginning. This is where my little mind has trouble (laughs) comprehending this. But God is working out a plan. He works out his holy will, that God has a plan. We make plans, don't we? And in that way, we are reflecting God. We are made in his image. We make plans and we seek to carry them out. Well, that is a reflection of who God is. He's not shooting from the hip. He's a God who has decreed, who has a plan, and he is carrying that plan out. And this speaks about God's indisputable sovereignty. And again, this is a place of encouragement and help and rest for us. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. He does according to his will. And even as we think of the cross, it is there that God's sovereignty is displayed in the crucifixion of Christ. And looking to the future in Revelation 19.6, God judges the great city here, the city of Babylon, the city of man. This is the consummation of history. And it says this, I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, listen to these words, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. He reigns. What a wonderful truth. And there is mystery, to be sure, how God's sovereignty interacts with man's responsibility. Um, we don't, aren't able to see all of this. And there's not, it's not fatalism. God is affecting his purpose, and especially for his people. And we may not grasp all of this, but I love what... John Edward, Jonathan Edwards said, he said this, that God's sovereignty is a soft pillow for a weary head. When we're weary, when life is hard and difficult, we know this God is sovereign. He is affecting his purpose. And just like tonight, when we go and we pillow our head and we have rest, so this doctrine of the sovereignty of God It's a soft pillow for a weary head. Well, may these truths, again, that I'm sure we've known for some time, may they be a refreshment to us tonight as we think about our God and his incomparable greatness. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Lord, tonight...